0: Welcome to ACNL in action, brought to you by the Association of California Nurse Leaders. I'm your host, Charlene Platon. Way back in 2020, Governor Gavin Newsom signed Assembly Bill 890 into law in California. The bill makes significant changes to the scope of practice for nurse practitioners, but it won't go into effect until January of 2023. So, what are these changes, and how will currently practicing nurse practitioners be affected? To help answer these questions, we have Dr. hair Kwan joining us today. Sarani is a friend of the pod, having been the guest on our February episode earlier this year, and she's also a member of the ACNL Health Policy Committee. Welcome, Sarani. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Charlene. Good to be back. Excited to talk about this topic. Very excited, and we'll dive right in because I know there's so much to talk about. And I just wanted to start first with... Just an overview. Could you first give us a brief overview of what Assembly Bill 890 is?
1: You know, in a nutshell, Assembly Bill 890 essentially codifies what a nurse practitioner is and what they can do until state law, in a nutshell. Now, there are uh, some other particulars around the bill, specifically that it creates two new categories of nurse practitioners. It doesn't eliminate the uh, original. Uh, type of nurse practitioner functioning under standardized procedure, but it creates two new ones that we'll talk about a little bit uh, later in the podcast. And it also has some detail in um, language about nurse practitioners and um, owning their own businesses.
0: Great. And I know we'll talk a lot more about that, but why was this law needed in the first place?
1: Well, like I mentioned to every nurse practitioner I talked to, and also any nurse leader um, in healthcare. Nurse practitioners really, we've been around since the um, mid 1970s in California. They first uh, came into being in the mid 1960s in Colorado. So it took about 10 years before our program was actually created in California. And we graduated our very first nurse practitioners in 1975, uh, 77. And those very first nurse practitioners really didn't have um, a way to practice besides being um, an masters well so they weren't even masters prepared nurses at that point so they were just nurses doing additional work in the office and over time they became um, licensed by the board of registered nursing because even at the beginning they were not licensed by the board of registered nursing so that was a big change that happened uh, very early in the existence of nurse practitioners in california and then the decision was made in those 1970s, the late 1970s, that nurse practitioner practice would follow the RN model of practice, meaning that if you did anything that looked like the practice of medicine, you were required to use a standardized procedure. So that's how nurse practitioners have been practicing since the very inception of the role in California. And unfortunately, that has actually caused a lot of problems because nurse practitioners don't have any language to point to in state law, like a nurse or like a physician, or even a physician assistant, midwife, the list goes on, saying exactly what we can do. So this is a huge sea change for the state and the nursing world where we actually have a codified, defined role for nurse practitioners that actually something you can point to in state law. So that's,
0: that's a big deal. Yes, understandably. And how is AB 890 going to affect current nurse practitioners? So AB 890
1: is a, a really m- more of a step forward. Uh, it's not going to be a sea change. And I, I'd like to caution um, everybody I talk to about using words like independent or changing the scope because In reality, what I actually do as a nurse practitioner every single week will not change. I will continue to go to clinic. I will continue to do the types of things I do with patients, which is diagnose, treat, manage, order medications, uh, review x-rays and labs with my patients, make decisions about referrals, et cetera. None of that changes. The only thing that will change is that my licensing will add a different number to the end of my license number. And I will be able to function without a standardized procedure that actually outlines all the things I'm actually doing right now. So really not any change in my practice, just uh, essentially the administrative burden of standardized procedures
0: goes away. And that's a huge change. I Absolutely. I know that standardized procedures is something we learn about in nurse practitioner training. It's been something that's been in practice in California, just like you said, for for many, many years and decades. So do you think that will be a huge change for people in terms of, you know, maybe not so much for the nurse practitioners, but maybe for the other collaborating um, healthcare uh, professionals that we work alongside?
1: Well, I think the hard part for everybody is just getting used to the fact that you don't need standardized procedures. And I think that the the one thing that I like to point to is that it is important that no matter where you function as a nurse practitioner, that your nurse practitioners yourself, if you're an NP, are being credentialed appropriately for the type of care you're delivering. And I'm going to guess 90 nine percent of of the nps in california are credentialed appropriately there may be some situations where nurse practitioners are working in very small single physician or maybe a couple physicians in an office that they don't have a formal credentialing process but for the most part credentialing is not going to change you're going to continue to credential the way you credential i have seen in my career the um, slippage of credentialing committees using standardized procedures as the document that they use to credential that nurse practitioner to do X, Y, and Z. And that is actually the wrong way to do it. Uh, the way you credential a, any healthcare provider is you, as an organization, decide what are the things you're going to allow that particular person to do with patients in this, uh, your setting, whether it's an ambulatory or acute care setting, and then you credential to that. So for instance, I'll give an example of an acute care nurse practitioner who is going to be on the intensivist team in in a hospital in California. Right now, that nurse practitioner should be credentialed to do the various things that they have been trained and are competent to do, putting in and taking out chest tubes, putting in, taking out central lines. You get the gist. We don't necessarily credential for um, managing the patient in ICU. That's in the standardized procedure. does not go into the credentialing document within that facility. And that does not change. So the credentialing process should remain the same, except for those places that have um, erroneously tied the standardized procedure into the credentialing process. So I would encourage any of you listeners who haven't actually looked at your credentialing process in a long time, for your NPs to go back and actually determine whether the standardized procedure has actually been tied to the credentialing process or not. If it has, it's important that you work with your med staff director and committee to remove that standardized procedure from that process because again it's uh, that's more of an administrative practice document as opposed to a credentialing process. So I just want to encourage anyone who has questions about that to absolutely reach out. If you have questions you can email California Association for Nurse Practitioners. Uh, we have an ask a practice question option, and I'm the one that answers those questions. So you can, mm-hmm. you can even reach out as a non-member to ask a practice question. And if you have any need for clarification on any of the things I'm mentioning today, I'm happy to have you go through CANP. Um, I think it's canpweb.org. So we'll mention that later on in that talk.
0: That's great. Thank you for that clarification. And it really sounds like credentialing is not changing. What is changing is the standardized procedures and that administrative process. So that is a really important distinction. And I, I could see where there could be confusion in terms of tying one with the other. So very, very good to keep in mind for all the healthcare systems and clinics and practices that employ nurse practitioners and a great time to really evaluate the process that you have. And just with that said, too, in terms of AB 890, how does that affect patients, if if any way? Uh, what degree might that impact patients, and in what in what ways?
1: Well, you know, really, as I said earlier, the the work that I do with my patients doesn't change. It actually might actually make the whole process easier. So I'm not changing how I take care of patients, nor will any nurse practitioner in the state of California. The thing that actually um, changes is that we remove the burden of standardized procedures from that process. So certainly our patients have no clue what a standardized procedure is and we're not gonna walk through that with them because that doesn't make sense to them. You're in front of them and you're taking care of them and making sure that their medications are appropriate and their labs are stable and they're being referred to appropriate providers as needed for whatever is happening. So as far as patients are concerned, nothing changes there is the possibility that once um 2026 rolls around there is a new um licensed nurse practitioner that will be out there called a 104 and that 104 nurse practitioner has the legal authority to function 100 percent independently without mm-hmm. physician oversight without being employed by an organization that employs a physician and also obviously without standardized procedures and able to own their own business so the, the three types of nurse practitioners that will exist come 2026 are the original standardized procedure nurse practitioners. Those are the ones that, for whatever reason, um, if you're not nationally certified, you can't apply to be a 103 nurse practitioner. Um, there's a, a couple of um, reasons why somebody wouldn't be able to apply to be a 103. Uh, another one of those reasons might be that they don't work in one of those six specific settings that are defined by law. And uh, if you have nurse practitioners and you're in a health system, you're covered under AB890. So the idea is that standardized procedure model remains for those types of nurse practitioners, as well as nurse practitioners who are new grads. So you have to have 4,600 hours before you can apply to be a 103 nurse practitioner. And so the 103 nurse practitioner, as defined by law, is one that does all the regular nurse practitioner work without a standardized procedure functioning in six specific settings that are defined by law. And um, those settings must employ at least one physician. That's all it says. There's no need for a collaborative agreement. No uh, process protocol, no standardized procedure, no pointing that nurse practitioner to work with that physician. Uh, the, all of those documents are essentially eliminated. So once the nurse practitioner is in the 103 status, so for instance, because I've been an NP for t- more than 20 years, um, as of actually February 1st of 2023, it's not January 1st, um, I will be able to go to the BRN website. a test that I have more than 4,600 hours, and I'm an NP in good standing in the state of California. And then one of my physician colleagues at my clinic will also have to go on and attest that they agree. And so they'll just, it's literally a link, and then they Mm -hmm. um, will attest. And then I will, according to the BRN, very quickly become Um, On my license, a 103 nurse practitioner. So that means I can go back to my facility and say, hey, I'm uh, now a 103 nurse practitioner. Here's a copy of my license. I'd like to remove standardized procedures from my practice. Again, It doesn't change what I do, I'm credentialed to do what I do, and that doesn't change unless I approach the med staff team and ask to be um, credentialed for a new skill that I've learned somewhere, right, that I've been proctored with, and I've also been signed off as competent. So so Mm -hmm. it'll be um, no change for patient care, but potentially a big change uh, in the access to nurse practitioners in independent practice after 2026, which Could affect Mm -hmm. patients because they'll have more access to healthcare. It's unknown
0: right now. So we'll have to wait and see. Yes. And just to recap, because there's a lot of great information there Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and I'll do the best I can. So feel free to let me know if any of this is, is not recapped correctly, but it sounds like there's three nurse practitioner scenarios. So the first is the current way that we've been practicing. Mm -hmm. And that was with standardized procedures. The second, which is available for nurse practitioners to apply come February 1st, 2023, is the 103 nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. And that will enable nurse practitioners to practice, but still in a collaborative setting with a physician. Correct. And then come 2026, that is when you see the 104 nurse practitioner, and that is really a nurse practitioner practicing independently without a collaborative physician in the setting and without standardized procedures.
1: Correct. Correct. And I, you know, one thing I do want to clarify, because there have been some questions about what does that collaborative physician thing look like? And right now the law is silent, right? So the only definition of where that collaborative physician exists is in those six healthcare settings, at least one physician must be employed. So it's defined, you can actually go and look at that law um, and and see the language about uh, collaborative there, but there is no requirement for a paper trail for connecting that nurse practitioner to that physician. So I just want to be really Mm. clear about that because there are, there are people asking, you know, well, if I'm in this one of these six settings, because a physician is employed by these six settings, uh, is there a way that I have to define that? And the answer is no, you do not.
0: Mm, Very interesting. Yeah. So, so as long as you apply for the 103 NP then you could work in that, in that setting, one of those six settings with that physician. Right. And, but that would be practicing without standardized procedures.
1: Correct. That's correct. Very, and very one thing, Yeah. One thing I didn't mention is that, um, there are requirements to maintain your 103. And one of the requirements is that you maintain your national certification. So mm-hmm. this has been a trend now, uh, gosh, I want to remember when we passed the bill, the California association for nurse practitioners passed the bill. And I want to say it was the early 2000s that required a master's degree for entry to practice for nurse practitioners. Now, prior to that, you did not have to have a master's. Uh, Some of you listening to this podcast will remember that. I remember that. And um, those nurse practitioners had an opportunity to be grandfathered in for a short period of time and then that window closed. So now going forward with 103, there is a requirement that you maintain national certification. Should you stop your national uh, certification for whatever reason, Um, you would uh, automatically lose your 103 status and you would go Mm. back to the original standardized procedure model uh, for your practice. So Mm -hmm. that is an important thing to remember. So I like to say to audiences that I'm speaking to, standardized procedures are not going away. I encourage Mm -hmm. organizations to standardize those documents so they are clean, they pertain to, if you will, Nurse practitioners who don't qualify to um, become a 103, and also for new grads that need to get their 4,600 hours. So, standardized procedures are still going to be there and they're still going to be needed for um, the first essentially three years of practice for a new grad. One other kind of interesting change is that nurse practitioners who are coming from other states, say they're coming from full practice authority states like Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, etc. There's 27 states in the United States now that offer full practice authority for nurse practitioners, which means no standardized procedures for no period of time for the NP practice. Any of those nurse practitioners or anyone else coming to the state of California will need to function for three years under a standardized procedure model, regardless mm. of their previous experience. So that's why having standardized procedures um, in your organization that you can point to are is very convenient, as opposed to having create a new one every time you have a new hire that might be from out of state. Um, so mm-hmm. keep that in mind. You have to have uh, those 4,600 hours must be done in California. And that language is wow. in law. Yeah.
0: That's really, really good to know. And I know that a lot of hospitals and health systems, uh, you know, hire people from out of state. So that's really good to keep in mind. And I do want to ask, too, with the implementation of AB 890 that's happening next year, uh, you know, the, we have seen that the California Board of Registered Nursing has yet to issue guidance. And I think you've spoken to that a little bit. There's still some pieces that have not been completely clear. But are there any updates or any timelines that we can reasonably expect some more of this guidance from the BRN? So that's another really good topic. Uh,
1: the the process of taking something that's been signed into law and actually putting it into regulation is a pretty complex process. So I have a I have a great graphic that I have pulled from the BRN site that shows kind of the very convoluted path that a uh, bill language <laughs> goes through. The AB 890 bill actually had language in it that made the process a little bit more complex because it required the BRN to stand up at the NP advisory committee. Now, those of you that are familiar with the Board of Registered Nursing know that we have other advisory committees um, off the BRN that have been meeting for years. So it's a very standard, the nurse midwives is an example, the advanced practice um, nurse practitioners is another example. So the nurse practitioner advisory committee was required to be um, stood up. So they had to take applications to place four nurse practitioners, two physicians and one community member into that advisory committee. So that happened in the first half of 2021. Then the second half of 2021, that committee then literally word by word went through AB 890 to write out recommendations to the bigger board of nursing for uh, approval. So there has been many meetings with the NP advisory committee. They're open to the public. uh, And as listeners, you're allowed to place public comment into the conversation, or you can write letters. So the BRN continues to have the same requirements around this advisory committee as they do others. And then at the end of 2021, November, the NP Advisory Committee delivered their recommendations to the greater board. Then the the year of 2022, now almost gone, uh, the final recommendations were discussed and voted upon by the big BRN board in um, the beginning of, well, I guess it's been a week ago, the 14th of November. So we had Mm -hmm. the 14th and 15th had a big BRN meeting and the um, couple of uh, final topics from the NP AB 890 bill were discussed and voted upon and approved. So now that that's done, The BRN has a very short timeline to get all of these put into practice. Um, And we we were told on the call of the BRN meeting last week that that would happen February 1st. So there has been a commitment by the Board of Registered Nursing to make this active, the 103 uh, role active as of February 1st, 2023. So there are so many questions that are out there around Um, credentialing and practice and how do you change that? um, I think much of that will sort itself out as we go forward into 2023. Um, The other thing that I didn't mention, and I'll just mention very briefly, is that once I become a 103 in my clinic, for example, I have the legal authority to certify or um, a a test for other nurse practitioners that now qualify to be 103 in the future. So for example, I have a nurse practitioner who is been in practice with me for um, four years. So she actually qualifies because she's had more than 4,600 hours in clinical practice. I've worked alongside of her all of that time. I'll get my 103 license. Uh, and then I can attest, I can go online to the VRN site and be her second, her provider mm-hmm. attestation. So it doesn't have to be a physician after that. So an NP with a 103 can attest for a nurse practitioner that they work with in their
0: own setting. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really good it's to It's going to be very know.
1: helpful, I think, for the whole process to roll out. Um, oh, I have heard from uh, MPs in different organizations that they're worried about their specialty nurse practitioners who don't work. Um, there's language in the law that says the physician must, uh, who's attesting must be the same specialty as you. So mm. many of our nurse practitioners who work in specialty settings, um, either in the ambulatory or acute care setting, don't necessarily work with physicians who have the same life insurance. Right which could be a problem. an example, I work in urgent care, for instance, on an occasional basis, and the medical director is an emergency room certified doc, and I'm family practice. So even though he and I have worked together for, gosh, five years, six years now, would he be able to go in and test on my behalf? Mm, Based on the language right now, it doesn't look like it. So Mm. I think the BRN is going to have to resolve some of those conflicts, because obviously, the six other nurse practitioners that work in urgent care, all of them family practice, are going to need to be um, uh, attested to. The question is who's going to be able to do that for them.
0: Mm-hmm. So we have,
1: we have some issues to, to kind of um, suss out as the year progresses in 2023. I'm pretty excited about what's going to happen and, and excited to see how we resolve a lot of these
0: um, challenges. Absolutely. And in, in the current absence of of this guidance as we're waiting for the BRN, what can NPs do to prepare for these changes? Or do you have any recommendations for what they can do in the meantime? Oh my gosh, for nurse practitioners and any of you health um, care leaders
1: that are listening to this podcast, nurses or otherwise, please go meet with your credentialing team to talk about what your credentialing process looks like. That's the number one thing you should be doing first. The second big task is to look at your standardized procedure. Uh, Make sure that it's appropriate. It still is required to have the 11 required elements. The BRN has a really great detail about that on the website. And again, any questions you're welcome to email cantweb.org. Ask a practice question because I'll, I'll be the one that responds to you. Make sure that your standardized procedures are um, first of all appropriate, meet the requirements of the BRN, and then also can be used for other um, nurse practitioners in the department you're working in. And then, you know, obviously I like having a template standardized procedure that I can customize for specialty departments. So those are the two big things you can do right now before anything changes in February of 2023.
0: Great. And as we wind down on our podcast, I feel like we could talk about this for a very long yeah. <laughs> time since this is really exciting. There's a lot to, that is going on, but what else do we need to know or consider at this moment? Did we miss anything during this conversation?
1: No, I think
0: that obviously there's going to be hanging chads out there that we're going to need to um,
1: resolve and then also get clarification on, but Just as a reminder for everyone, what nurse practitioners do does not change the way that a nurse practitioner learns how to do something new and get credentialed to do that does not change. So that process remains the same. I want to just be sure that everyone remembers that as your pearl from this podcast, (laughs) that the practice of a nurse practitioner is not going to blow up and magically turn into something else on February 2nd, 2023.
0: Great. Thank you so much, uh, Sarani. That is wonderful and great insights to consider. And thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Happy to come back anytime. Yes, we will definitely. I'm sure we're going to have you back again once we see this all progress. And probably most likely in 2026 as well as we continue to see independent practice progress. Exactly. Great. And our guest today was Dr. Sarani Kwan, member of the ACNL Health Policy Committee and Director of Professional Practice and Nursing Excellence at the Sutter Health System. We'd love to hear your feedback. Email us at socialmedia@acnl.org at and connect with us on LinkedIn and Facebook at ACNLNurse. And as always, if you like the show, please remember to rate, review, and share. ACNL in Action is presented by the Association of California Nurse Leaders with new episodes on the first Friday of every month. To learn more about the show or ACNL in general, visit us at acnl.org. Thank you for listening.